0: If there's not a guiding, loving input from somebody who does believe in the goodness of God, that thing's probably going to go south and it's going to be ugly, it's going to be destructive. The devil means it for evil and he can sure take it there, but when you've got an intercessor and you've got somebody who understands these things and brings the little goodness of God into the situation, then it can be redeemed. Thank you for joining us for Effective Heart Change. The podcast will discuss how to apply faith principles to real life situations. Welcome Dale to Effective Heart Change. Are you ready?
1: I think so. It's, it's early, but I think I'm ready.
0: It, it's fun. I'm looking forward to this series and how it plays out And today's particular segment. We're talking about enemy number two. Last time we talked about number one, which is, is number one. Us. It's me, myself, and I. All together. And so often in the whole forgiveness, let it go, get rid of wounds area, it's all about the other person. When we do that, we literally hand off any power that we have, and we get our focus on that person, and it literally, that focus will control us, it enslave us, and it will prevent us from walking through the forgiveness process. The same thing happens with enemy number two, which is our view of God. Because number one, can't get the job done. In other words, you do not have the capacity to forgive in the areas that are much deeper. You, you can forgive in the small stuff. I mean, we, we can all handle that. We, we can all be really tough and forgive the small stuff. But when it's really, really deep, do you even have the power to forgive? And I'm going to say no, not without drawing strength from the outside.
1: Well, I would say even in the, in the small stuff... Uh, we can forgive sorta of. because uh there always seems to be some remnant of the offense or the pain or anything like that that is dredged up in a moment of passion or tension or who knows what but but the obvious one is that god can <laughs> and and so uh why do we consider him an enemy in in our thinking.
0: We consider him an enemy because think about wounds and forgiveness. It's pain. And so if I'm walking in pain, which is really the source of why I would be struggling with unforgiveness, I begin to doubt the goodness of God.
1: If I'm hurting, uh, God must have put me in that position. Is that what basically...
0: If, if we believe God is God, if we believe God is sovereign... Has our best in mind. Then he's responsible. We transfer some of the responsibility to God, or maybe all of the responsibility to God. So if God is a good God, why is this happening to me? I mean, it's, it's the classic question of why do bad things happen to good people? And Because bad things are happening to me, I can no longer trust God. Once you're in that mode, what are the chances that you're going to be able to draw strength from God, or let's extend it to the second part, which I believe is equally important, from godly people. As soon as a godly person, somebody who I thought I could trust, as soon as I'm hurt by that person, then that goes away. So now I can't trust God. I tra- can't trust godly people." And why is that? Because we project from our pain to our worldview, to where that's how we now see God, that's now how we now see the people around us. We can no longer draw strength. Now what are our odds of overcoming in this area of unforgiveness?
1: And that transfer from, uh, from ourselves to godly people that are in our lives. Uh, only exacerbates the problem with God, because it's God's main thing in their life, and if, if they're treating me that, it goes back on God again. So it's, it's a no-win proposition.
0: Actually, you bring up a point that I really wanted to cover, which is our view of God tends to be in the image of our earthly father, for starters. Mm. So if you have an earthly father who abandoned you, Almost 100% of the time, I deal with this over and over and over again, if your earthly father abandoned you, you will tend to have a view of God of, he's not there, he's not there for me. So that early wound of abandonment sets in a spiritual foundation that I'm not even thinking about. It's just there. It's already a part of who I am. It's ingrained. It's ingrained. What's laid down spiritually, we talked about this in the step-by-step series, the spiritual foundations. If If I have laid down in me this anxiety, and we actually referred to that in the last program too, if I have this anxiety laid down in me, then I'm responding from that, and my thoughts aren't necessarily controlling me, my anxiety is controlling me. Same thing happens here. I've got a father who left me, so then I have this abandonment situation, so I don't believe that there's a God out there who loves me at that point. That's just kind of instinctive, and it happens without any effort. So you have a father
1: figure that lets you down somehow, uh, disappointed you couldn't trust him, and and so then someone comes along and says, well, you need to... you need to trust God the Father. And, and the, the tendency, and it seems pretty natural uh, to make the assumption, well, if I can't ca- trust the guy that produced me, what, what, uh, what can I
0: do with God? And remember, number one won't get the job done.
1: Yeah, it's
0: that's already out. We, we already had enemy number one, so if I'm trusting self— And hoping to be able to forgive by trusting self, it's not going to get the job done. So now I've got to be able to trust not just in God. I've got to go the next step. I've got to be able to trust in the goodness of God. That ends up being incredibly powerful. Why would I pursue someone? Why would I pursue something that I don't deeply believe? is good is able to help is able to bring me strength able to bring me life and the image of the people around us is going to largely translate to our view of god those two can't be separated so if i'm struggling with unforgiveness if i'm struggling with wounds guess what i've got an enemy out there because it naturally says if i'm struggling with wounds I've got this view of people. I've got this view of God. I've got this view of life. I'm in a world of hurt. But the, <laughs> I guess the good news
1: in, the, in this is we started with uh, enemy number one, and so you, you, there's some sort of recognition going on that you can't handle it. And, and where you go from there is a big deal, it would seem to me, because now we're saying, Uh, you don't believe you can trust God or uh, authority figures or even friends that somehow hurt you. Uh, So (laughs) that's quite a dilemma.
0: And I say this a lot of times, that we see the world from inside of our spiritual flows. So what happens many times in woundedness, the good news is we hit a point of coming to the end of ourself, coming to brokenness, Come into humility. And in that brokenness, when our spiritual man starts to change, when our spiritual man hits a new location, then we're in a place of flux. It's at that point that we have the capacity, we have the potential to change our view of God. So it's kind of neat. It's like the the wounding is the very thing that keeps us in our bondage, but the wounding at the same time also can set us up in a way to where it's like, what I'm doing isn't working, I'm confused. And somehow that confusion can bleed over to humility, or it might flop back to self-pity. I cut
1: myself, I have a wound, right? So one of two things is going to happen. Either it's going to heal and, and get the necessary air and medication maybe, uh, maybe a doctor's attention, whatever, or it's going to get infected. (laughs) It's basically what you're talking about right there. Because we've been wounded, there's an opening in our armor, so to speak. Uh, The skin is our armor. That holds stuff together. So there's there's a wound there, and how that wound heals, or if it heals, Is really a matter of what you do to. It's a matter of what you do to agree with the treatment, and and that what you're saying with that is that 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 there's an opening that's made. Even seeing it rather than something that just hurts and I can't deal with it, uh, it can be looked at as an opportunity to do something different.
0: In every situation every situation the devil means it for evil john 10 10 satan comes to what steal to kill to destroy in every situation you have an enemy of your soul and he is trying to exploit that situation for evil and the primary evil is to get you to harden your heart the primary evil is to get you to turn away from god because he knows that your view of god is incredibly powerful Remember, we talked about last time, focus and view and forward view. So if, if I'm seeing this wound and it becomes large and I'm staring at it, I'm going to be transformed into the image of the bitterness and the frustration and futility. So in every situation, the devil is wanting to turn it towards evil. In every situation, God is at work for good. And when I begin to understand that in every situation, God has a purpose to take this thing and transform it to where I'm building character, and maybe I'm connecting with him and drawing strength. I'm connecting with other people where there's, where there's the ability to draw strength, and I'm building relationship in solid ways that I probably wouldn't have done because of enemy number one. I'm pretty good at depending on me. I'm pretty good at not needing anyone else. So when a wound comes along and I'm really broken and I'm struggling, many times that's what pushes us into that place of connecting with God or connecting with people, which was the original will of God anyway. And that hasn't changed. And that hasn't changed. And and I think we miss that, because
1: uh, I mentioned earlier before we started that in church, churches that I've been in and gone to, I've seen that most people... Have this idea about God as being an angry God. God the Father is an angry God. He's just, he's up there waiting to smack you up the side of the head for what you're doing wrong. And the reality isn't anything like that. Uh, he's,
0: he's, he wants to welcome you home. And the language I really want people to hear God is not designing some of these situations. When Cain killed Abel, god did not design that situation in fact he intervened actively to try to prevent that situation so god is not designing everything that happened to you but in everything that happens to you the demonic realm the spiritual realm is right there at work to try to turn it to evil and to try to twist it and and make it perverse and god is right there offering of himself offering of His strength, His love, His life, His grace, to turn it back to the good in a way that redeems, transforms, restores. We have that choice every moment, every crisis situation, and way too often we decide that, I can't trust God, I can't trust in His goodness, I've got to handle this by myself, and we go back to number one and then it gets really ugly. And there's your point of how we see God,
1: not how God is.
0: Mm. Amen. For those listeners who are on an audio-only podcast, I want to remind you that you can check out the link to get the questions on our YouTube channel so that you can actually follow along with what we're doing in the break. We'll be back in just a moment.
1: I find it interesting that the the trinity the the visual for me of the trinity is is a triangle connected an equilateral tri- triangle God father and son and and I've come to believe that the and I've said this before but uh, that relationships uh, to be successful need to be a triangle as well God at the top and that two individuals, and, and, and instead of it being a linear thing where you're, you're trying to deal with each other this way, side to side, you're both headed towards God, and in the process headed towards each other, because that is really the unity that, that will provide positive relationship.
0: God has created us different. So you have a different set of core values, you have a different purpose, you have a different mission, a different calling, I have a different mission, calling. Because of that difference, you and I are not going to see life the same way. It's just, it's virtually impossible. And when your mission, your calling clashes with mine, and it's going to somewhere along the line, there's going to be conflict. What is God's purpose in that clash? Think about that for just a moment.
1: Well, I, I think in creation, he creates us uh, as individuals, uh, unique in, in some special way. And, and the process is, is to find out what he created us for. But in finding out what he created us for, we'll begin to be able to say to somebody else, I don't see it that way, but if you'll you know give me your point of view, and if we're headed in the direction of the Maker, who made us all and gifted us all, uh, we're headed in the right direction of Him helping us understand how that other person is different than us, and and in the process of that discovery, it's like the wound that you brought up earlier. It's it's hard to do. Uh, it's not our natural thing we want to uh, we want to protect ourselves and and then we move on to, to blaming it on god or the other person or whatever but the reality of it is if we if we are able through a wound to step back and look at it and and on our process of looking to god for help and the answers we we will We will be provided with a new perspective, I believe.
0: To me, one of the major issues every time there's a wound is, am I going to continue to value you, and are you going Mm -hmm. to continue to value me? When I step back and I understand you have a mission, I have a mission, there's times when that seems to contradict. Now, let me pull back from that a little bit. There's times when the character of God seems to contradict itself. Mercy and truth, think about those. And you know the Psalms talks about where mercy and truth finally met each other. And frankly, the picture is they met each other in Jesus Christ, because in Jesus Christ, you have the absolute truth, the absolute demand for righteousness, but that was met, met by Jesus laying down his life on a cross. And so he met the conditions for the righteousness of God, for the truth of God, and so you bring those things together. There's many times when God has these counterbalancing things that you're looking at and going, how can this part of God's character be fully true and this part? Well, guess what? The same thing happens in the body of Christ. You've got the hand, you've got the foot, you've got the mouth, you've got the ear. And it's like, how can you do the speaking if you're listening? that you can't do the speaking and the listening at the same time, so you've got to close your mouth in order to be the listener. And so you've got these contradictions and you've got these tensions. What really ratchets it up to a level of pain at that point is, I'm not comfortable being the ear, so I, I have to jump in and be the mouth or, or whatever language you, you want. And next thing you know, we're not validating each other. We're invalidating each other. In a way that's very hurtful, in a in a way that's painful.
1: There's a scripture in uh, I believe it's First Corinthians, but uh, where it talks about members of the body, and and how uh, if everything was a nose, we could smell really well, but we couldn't do anything else. Well, I happened to be uh, a speaker at a banquet, and I used that text, and I put it into into uh, football terms. If everyone would center. Was the center who would who would do uh, catch the ball from the quarterback and and who would throw the ball and that kind of thing and and that's what I hear you saying in this Uh, even in Christ's life that hit me when you were talking about this he's he's the son and and he becomes human and and really what he did was everything was working his way back to home uh, because. He gave up everything from heaven to become one of us, otherwise that sacrifice wouldn't have been sufficient. And, and uh, he had contact through the Holy Spirit, but that, it was the same process. He was working his way back to home.
0: I started off with the idea of enemy number two is God's, you know, our view of God. Mm-hmm, well, how about enemy number two is also our view of God's purpose in others and how he's working this out together and so it's it's no longer just god but it's god in creation we don't see god as having a purpose and because we don't see god as having a purpose we don't see god at work then my only recourse is, well, I've got to protect me, I've got to feel good about me, which is kind of back to enemy number one. I've got to one. take care of me, yeah. and so then I'm going to trash you, or I'm going to control you, or I'm going to manipulate you, and then we, we continue in our pain and our unforgiveness and our belief system, not just about God, but God's work in his creation, causes us to stay in a place of unforgiveness. Yeah, it's,
1: it's, it's a dead end. It's a, it's a garbage dump, uh, because we're, we've, we've given up on everybody, and, and we certainly don't have a clear view of God's purpose in our life. Uh, I, even in my best moments, uh, I have my doubts, you know, and, and it's not, not
0: him, it's me. So one of the key factors is to simply begin to believe that God is at work, what I talked about towards the end of the last segment, God is at work in every situation. If I actually believe that, and I stop, and I breathe, and I, I, I slow down, and I get into a different spiritual location, remember how powerful that is. I get into a different spiritual location and I may even need to speak words and say, whoa, 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 stop. I have a God who loves me. I have a God who is sovereign. I have a God who is at work in every situation. And He is at work to redeem in every situation. By speaking those words, I move to a different spiritual location. I'm moving to a place to where I actually have the potential now to receive from God. And as I'm receiving from God, might actually be able to speak the right kinds of words in the situation with the person to start bringing healing.
1: We, we jump to the assumption that he lets us fail. He, he, he actually puts us in these situations. Uh, that's an interesting one for me because it's, it's an easy out f- for me because it's God's fault. It's not my fault. I didn't do it. You know what why why does he do that? and I hear that all the time uh people and I've said it myself that that why did God put me in that place why did why did he allow me to do that and i've I've heard it spouted as as a reality of real truth that god God allows you to well God allows you to choose, but he doesn't make you do it. it's your choice and 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 that sounds like splitting hairs, but that's a pretty big hair to split right there.
0: It it is a huge one, and that whole idea of failure and being put in these spots, and what that does, I'm going to call it hyper-sovereignty. Hyper-sovereignty blames God for everything. Mm -hmm. I believe that a healthy view of God, a biblical view of God, understands this concept that I talked about in every situation. This language is so important. In every situation, God is at work for good, the devil is at work for evil, and the balancing point is our choice. He gives us Psalm 8. He puts us in an unbelievably powerful place of shaping our own future. Not that we have the ability to shape our own future, but if we have a favorable view of God, if we have a benevolent view of God, if we understand the place of God, then we can turn to Him to draw strength. And when we draw strength, when we enter into partnership, life radically transforms into a new place, a new adventure. But if I'm trying to do it by myself, I don't believe God is good, He's blocked out. Then I'm back to the belief system that you just talked about, which is, why did God do this to me? Well, you brought up Cain and Abel. Uh, that's a great example, because
1: uh, God did all that he could without intervening in the, in the sense of stopping it completely. It was, it was the choice that was made, and the perpetrator made the choice. But the reality is, what happened after it? Cain was sure that somebody's going to come kill him, and 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 so God separated him, and and put him in a in a safe place. And and I don't remember the exact wording of the preventive, but he he made a, a, a statement that if you killed him, there was a there was a penalty that was many times over worse than would be for what he did to—and and he prospered in, in, in his new place. So there was forgiveness, but it wasn't God's will that he, he killed his brother.
0: The point you make is good. Not everything that happens is the will of God. We have to understand that we start there. Because if we don't start there, we can't get to a place of understanding that God is good, that God is intervening for good.
1: And if we don't start there, we have a, a, a really messed up picture of who God is.
0: Let me flip it. If we don't also believe God is sovereign, how can I believe what we just talked about and still believe God is sovereign? God is able to factor in free will. He is able to calculate and recalculate, if you will, and have plan and plan B and plan C and plan D. He's able to factor our decisions, our foolishness into these things in a way at which He still is sovereign. He's still at work. He's still moving the different pieces around. Again, according to how people are willing and and how they cooperate with him, he's able to do that and he's still overall, in all, through all. That goes back to the contradiction that we talked about. He's mercy, he's truth, he's righteousness. You've got these contradictions where he's not in charge, not causing, but is still absolutely in charge. When you begin to expand your brain and you understand a God who, who fits all of these descriptions, it really moves us into a place of humility where we're much more ready to resolve with other people.
1: Our brain isn't our best friend a lot of times. It is not. Uh, we we think too much and in the wrong direction.
0: So what really turns it around is our view of God and believing in the goodness of God, believing in the sovereignty of God believing in the redeeming power of God. These are the kinds of things. When that happens, there's something that happens in our hearts that moves us into a place to where I'm now capable of interacting with you in a way to move towards forgiveness. And see, these are all pre-steps. We don't think about these pre-steps. We immediately, we think about that person hurt me, and what am I going to do, and how am I going to do this thing to either take control, to prevent woundedness again, all of the different things that we think about. And when we're in those zones, forgiveness is not possible. How we view God is incredibly important in whether or not we're able to walk through forgiveness. Let's take a moment and review where we've been, and then we'll continue. (laughs)
1: Well, we're back and we're talking about speaking to the heart now. Uh, about actually, you talked about changing the, uh, the way your heart sees things and, and, and the connection between the heart and the head. Uh, it's interesting to me that, that, that both the mind and the heart are downgraded in, in some passages in the Bible as not being trustworthy, uh, and, and but somehow in combination, uh, they have the power to to really focus in. Anyway, your, your first paragraph, it says, many times we pound others with biblical information about the love of God or the healing of God when there is little or no chance for that hurting person to be able to hear us. So we're given this advice, trying to console, and they don't hear us. When we do this, It's likely to build strongholds in the person's mind against God. We think inside of where we are spiritually, and the ego of the person walking in faith in self will be busy building a case to defend himself, even if that means rejecting the truths of Scripture. When we try to use Scripture on someone who is not spiritually ready, we are contributing to that person's developing a bitterness towards God. I think. There's so many things in there that uh, we, tend to, we tend to speak before we think. In, in the process, we hurt people even more than they're already injured. And if it was us that hurt them, it's going to build a bigger rejection in whatever we have to say.
0: Belief in the goodness of God. I, I talk about that as being a prerequisite. The way we have approached that as a culture is from a head approach, from a knowledge approach. So I'm going to sit you down and argue you into an understanding of the goodness of God. Well, let's go back to the last segment. What's one of the number one things that turns people off from God and and causes us to believe that there's an absent God who really doesn't care? It's absent fathers. So you have this life illustration, you have this life example, life experience of an absent father, and then I hear about God the Father and I already make this transfer, nobody has to tell me that, nobody tells me to make this transfer, it just happens, that's the way I'm designed, it comes out of my being. So if I come at you with information, what happens? Information usually results in some kind of a power struggle, where immediately, as I talk about in there, the ego kicks in, and now we've got an argument going My chances of believing in the goodness of God and getting to a place of forgiveness out of that argument are virtually zero. You
1: come at me like that, and I'm going to say, I don't care about your information. And and it's going to go
0: south from there. And what I talk about in terms of approach is somewhere along the line, I need to connect with you in a healthy way, I need to connect with you in a loving way. And that's so powerful in terms of what I do with people at this point. Many times it's listening. In a counseling situation, I'll spend 55 minutes listening, literally saying nothing, maybe asking an occasional question here, an occasional question there, so that they know I really am genuinely listening. I really am genuinely caring. That listening translates to a God who hears translates to a God who listens. Again, those examples, those models are huge for us to be doing those kinds of things. The person we project is every bit as important as the words that we speak.
1: And the questions thing is the thing that speaks to me most, is because you're getting out of yourself when you ask somebody a question. Even if it's a perfunctory type of thing, it's a start. And, and the more we practice it, the better we'll get at, at looking for ways of opening a door between us instead of just preaching.
0: I find that, it, again, I work with critical situation after critical situation, and, and invariably I have a sense that, okay, the facts are settled, and I'm I've I've loaded up and I'm going to come in and I'm going to convince people and I'm I'm gonna tell people how it is. And in in some cases I have that authority to where you don't have a place to live anymore. And and so I actually sit in a seat of being relatively powerful in those situations. God like. God like and that never works. And what I find is that the greatest approach is to go in asking questions clarify facts, admit if I don't have full facts, begin to lay out possibilities to where I'm beginning to suggest, well, what if this were true? Or what if that were true? And you allow them to think through different worldviews. You allow them to see from a different point of view without forcing them to see from a different point of view. That whole exploration process is amazing when we have a father who loves us enough to come alongside us and that's what I'm trying to model when I'm in that role I'm not coming in as judge and jury I'm coming in as listener I'm coming in as someone who is coming alongside to nurture you and to care for you it's unbelievably powerful when we're able to to have that kind of approach what you
1: described is an advanced degree in opening up Conversation because uh, most those were steps. You didn't do that all at once. You didn't come to that being able to do that. So give me a starting one. What what what? How do I speak to somebody to invite them?
0: Well, I start with I don't know. Okay. Even when I believe the facts are settled, I start with I don't know. So I approach with this idea of fact gathering. I approach with this idea of trying to understand the other person where they're coming from, what's going on inside of their mind and what they believe, and I also understand that even if what they believe is wrong, they probably their ego wouldn't allow them to be a total sicko jerk. So they probably had reasons. They probably had something of some semblance of positive motive in there somewhere, no matter how sick it was.
1: They had justification.
0: They had justification, a great word.
1: They, we, we, can, we can justify what we feel uh, because it's,
0: it's coming from us, and, and that's, that, that's great. And that's so important because what's the enemy number two? Enemy number two is, I don't believe in the goodness of God. I believe in a severe, yeah. chastising, dominating father. If that's my belief system, what are the odds that I'm actually going to come to that father to draw strength? And over and over again, I tell people, look, if you're gonna swear and be angry and scream at someone, I'm probably the safest person for you to do that with because I've, I've been through enough of these wars already. I'm not going to answer back. I'm not going to treat you in the manner that you quote unquote deserve i'm not going to treat you according to how you treat me i'm going to do my best to treat you and respond to you according to the character of god and how i believe god would have me respond to you now that doesn't mean there are some people who are power people etc we've talked about this in other segments where you have to respond back strong mm-hmm. doesn't mean i'm always weak and uh, you know just kind of roll over and play dead there's times when no i'll i'll get back and i'll challenge you but i want to model the image of the Father because if I can model the image of the Father, I so completely believe in the image of the Father that if I if I model that to you, you're going to move towards a belief in the goodness much farther than if I bring all of these intellectual arguments and quote all of these scriptures about the goodness of God and who he is. None of that matters if I can't model the image of the Father to you. So
1: you've asked, or you've made the statement, I don't know, and, and invited uh, the person to respond. Uh, the next thing that happens has to be you listen, because you can make, you can make a great entry and give an opportunity, uh, and whether they take it or not, you don't have control over that. But what you do have control of is, what you do in response. And, it, and the response is as important as the question is.
0: I'm reminded of Elijah when he was running from God. <laughs> and, you know, he's been on this 40 day journey, and, and God even had to give him supernatural provision so that he would have the strength for this journey. He wasn't and,
1: bright enough to feed himself. <laughs> yeah, he, he was in a
0: self pity hole, and yeah. he was just going to lay down and die because he was the only one left. And he, he gets to the cave, and, and God says, Why are you here? I mean, don't you love it? I mean, I mean, this is God who who understands all things, who sees all things. And he looks at Elijah and says, Why are you here? And it's interesting. The question isn't for God's sake, obviously. But the question is just like this process that we're talking about. When you come to people and you you're pretty sure what you know. And I've worked with a lot of people, a lot of situations, and so. I have a lot of insight to those situations, but what I have to do every time is to know that you're absolutely unique, and your character is unlike anyone else, your calling is unlike anyone else, so I have to remember, I don't know. And when I approach people that way, there's a level of validation, you're unique, you're special, you're different. I need to take the time to hear you, to listen to you, to get to know you, to understand what you're feeling and experiencing. And until I hit that, how in the world can we forgive people if we just come at them from the point of view of you hurt me?
1: And I know it all.
0: <laughs> yeah, and so I have the right to judge you, and this is the way this situation's going down. Whereas if I come and I just lay down my hurt long enough, to walk through these kinds of steps with you, it is unbelievably transformative.
1: So, have you ever been surprised? Oh, I'm always surprised. Okay, that, speak to that, because I think that's huge. That, that, that For me, that's part of the listening process. If one, someone says something that I, it blows me away, I'm thinking, well, I've I need to respond to that. I mean, I, I, tell me more, or how, how did that come down, or however you want to put it. But, but that's, that's, a, that's a wide open door.
0: You talked about Cain, and Cain, you, I'm not sure if you use these words, but projecting onto, because he had just killed Abel, he projected that now the whole world was going to be angry at him. And and kill him he projected where his heart was
1: he he was word god would kill him i think yeah that that would have been the first thought
0: that too so he's projecting that onto the hearts of the other people well in the situations that i work with which are chaotic and high level over and over again projection is everywhere so you've got someone with a bitter heart they project that onto Mm -hmm. someone else well then they see through that lens and they give you a fact pattern that sounds incredibly convincing, well, guess what? That fact pattern is almost always wrong. So the first thing that I've learned, and it took me a long time to learn this, slow down, slow down, do not assume. Do, do not assume motives, do not assume fact patterns. And you come in and you ask questions, and I, sometimes I feel like I'm almost an attorney where I'm going in and I'm asking all kinds of precise questions from all kinds of different directions, again, not to entrap, but to understand, because the fact patterns that have been laid up by other people who have an offense towards this particular person, they're almost never accurate. And so when I sit down with people, invariably I'm learning new things, and the picture is coming into a clearer distillation of what's actually going on in a way that, okay, now I can actually be a godly influencer in this situation.
1: So what I'm hearing you say in this is, is both parties uh, have the propensity to run ahead.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: And, and, and rush to judgment, uh, both of each other and of themselves, and, and uh, that is a deep hole that's hard to crawl out of.
0: It's a deep hole, but I'm going to take it back to try to simplify it really comes back to belief in the goodness of God. See, what I bring to that situation, because I've worked with so many, is an understanding that if we'll slow down, stop, listen to God, listen to what God is speaking, do what God says to do, this thing can and will be resolved. And in fact, the two of you that are mortal enemies right now might just find out that you absolutely need one another and you are so incredibly good for one another, and if we can get over this hurdle, this is going to be an amazing thing. I see that all the time. And so I take that belief system into conflicts. And, and in addition to that, I see uh, conflicts that expose key raw areas that need healed or, or growth areas to step into. So when I'm seeing these conflicts and I'm seeing these wounds, I know that this is an accentuation point where the will of God can go forth, but the devil means it for evil, God means it for good. If there's not an energy input, if there's not a guiding, loving input from somebody who does believe in the goodness of God, that thing's probably going to go south, and it's going to be ugly, it's going to be destructive. The devil means it for evil, and he can sure take it there, but when you've got an intercessor, and you've got somebody who understands these things, and brings the little goodness of God into the situation, then it can be redeemed.
1: You've spent much time, a lot of time in the process. And and that that taking time is part of spending time. You you're deciding if I'm gonna rush in and and, and blow my top, or if I'm going to hold it a little bit and and invest my time. And hopefully it's a reciprocal thing. But even if it isn't, you're getting experience trusting God. And so it's easier for you the next time to go and do that. You have a, a, a more of a measured approach. And, and the surprises that people give you just add to the, the knowledge and, and the ability to, to communicate like that.
0: I've gotten a lot deeper into the solution than I intended to, so I'm going to go one step farther real quick. (laughs) What I try to do in these situations is simplify. It's crazy to me how these deep, deep conflicts can almost always be remedied by one simple step on the part of one or both of the parties. Again, the goodness of God, it's It's so amazing when you just get a hold of the simple truth and the goodness, and we have faith in God, and we follow that step of obedience, how quickly it can be remedied, completely transformed. In every situation, God is at work for good. That belief is amazing in its ability to lay that foundation to where now I can step towards healing instead of maintaining my unforgiveness and my bitterness.
1: Simplification leads to ver- uh, uh, clarification. Uh, if, I, if, you, if you make it an easier, easier thing to see, I have more clarity in my thinking and in my, my perception of you and your approach or anything like that. And and I think that's huge. It's, it's like the, when a train starts, you hear this rumble, and, and it, it has to develop momentum. Uh, that, that simplification uh, is the engine starting, and then the clarification is the rumble of it the echoing through the cars.
0: Hopefully you can begin to see. I, this is a life work for me this is a life work of our ministry we literally deal with this day by day hour by hour over and over again and i can tell you with an authority with a confidence you start walking out these principles it works you too can get healing you too can get strength you can get life you too can give healing you can give strength you can give life I hope that you'll continue to join us. I hope that you'll pass this message on and and encourage others to connect with our YouTube channel. And thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being with us. We hope to see you next time.